I'm sure you've all been there before. If you haven't, you'll probably be there at some point. You may be there right now. You may have just come from being there. Where we left Abraham, Abram, last week was in the promised land. He, God told him to go to a land that I will show you. He was trusting God, walking with God. Took his father, took his nephew with him. Still wasn't walking in complete disobedience. His father dies in Haran and then they move on. And the story left us with Abram setting in the promised land. And God had just told him all of this land I'm going to give you. And it tells us in chapter 12 of verse 10 of Genesis. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarah his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they say, This is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Hot wife probs right there. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. And he treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep. Oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded, his, Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Look in 13. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all he had, and lot with him to the south. And Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Let's stop verse 4. We've probably all been there at some point in our life. We felt as though we were walking in obedience to God. We felt like we were in the place God wanted us to be. And out of nowhere, it seems, trouble came. Have you ever been there before? Right in the middle of God's will you felt. And then all of a sudden, a storm came. Trouble came. Trial was 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 beating down on you. You felt a lot like the man in Matthew chapter 7 who built a house and the floods came, the rains descended, and the wind blew. And you didn't know that it was going to happen. And you're starting to wonder and question and say, God, if I'm doing what you want me to do, if I am being obedient to your word, if I am, if I am seeking your will, then why in the world, God, are these bad things happening? I don't think any of us would say that a famine is a good thing. I think all of us would look at it like Abraham did. This is a serious situation. You may be a husband who has 
who has been just just loving your wife and and seeking to honor her, as the Bible said. And you may be doing your best to honor God in your role as a husband, and yet problems come up, or vice versa. Problems come up and you say, well, God, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to. Why does this happen? You may be a parent who has diligently sought to train your children up in the way that they should go, and then when they first encounter the world on their own, they're off. And you say, no, wait a second, God. You may have made healthy decisions all of your life and you you recognize that your body was the place where the Spirit of God resides and you may have made wise health decisions all your life and then all of a sudden you get a bad report from the doctor and you're saying, wait, I don't understand. Here is Abraham, Abram, sitting here literally in the promised land and what happens? A famine comes. It shouldn't surprise us that it was in this place It was in the promised land that this challenge came. The first thing is a challenge. It shouldn't shock us at all when it seems at those moments that we are doing our very best that these challenges come. You see, God knows exactly when to allow tests in our life. God knows exactly when to turn the fire up underneath us for the purpose of trying us. He knows exactly what we're made of. He knows our metal. And He knows exactly what we need to learn, how we need to learn it, and when it needs to come. He is the great schoolmaster of our faith. And Abram is sitting here in the promised land, and this famine came. Now let me remind you of something. Famines don't happen overnight. This wasn't something that would have come, and he would have woken up the next morning and said, Oh God, there's no food in the land anywhere. This is something that would have come gradually, It would have come progressively. I would imagine as Abram is there in the promised land, he probably looked out and saw, okay, there's still some food. The next day, the food would have gotten in shorter supply. Next day, there would have been a little less food, and Abram's starting to think, wait a second, I've got got people with me that I'm responsible for. I've got a wife that I'm responsible for. I've got my nephew that I'm responsible for. I've got to start making a decision. Why in the world did this famine hit Abraham right when it did? Why do our relational famines? Why do our financial famines? Why do our those those that seem to be spiritual famines? Why do they come in our life when it seems that we're right in the middle of God's will? We move from the challenge to the choice. Abram had what appeared to be two options. Stay in the land that God told me to go to in the first place and trust God or get out of here where there is no food and go down to Egypt because they've got drive throughs on every corner. Which is it? Do I stay here and continue to forage for a few nuts? Or do I go down to Egypt where the good steakhouses are? Which one? Herein lies the rub. Nowhere in Scripture can I find anywhere where God told Abram to go down to Egypt. Nowhere. 
I can't find anywhere in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I can't find in Joshua's account of Abram's life. I can't find in the book of Acts chapter 7 where they speak of Abraham. I can't find in the hero's roll call of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. I can't find it anywhere where God said, Okay, Abram, it's tough right here. Get down to Egypt. Go ahead. It's all right. God never told Abram to leave. God told him to get there. Never told him to head down to Egypt to find his resources. He made a choice. He weighed his options. Do I sit here where God told me to go? Or do I go down to Egypt where I know there's food? Do I trust God? Or do I take matters into my own hands? He made a decision. And his decision was... I am going to go down to Egypt where the stake houses are. I'm going down there. I'm taking matters into my own hands. I'm going to provide. And we would look at that and say, well, that's a noble characteristic. That was just wise decision making. There's no food here. He has to survive. He has to provide for his family. What was God's promise to Abram back in chapter 12? I will make your name great. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. You telling me that the God who said, I will make your name great, I will make you a great nation, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, you're telling me that that God can't provide food on my plate? D.L. Moody, on occasion, would sit at his table with his family. They would join hands, and he would say these words, God of heaven, thank you for searching all the earth and providing for us today these fish and a few potatoes. What a great way to look. Guys, it is better for us to risk starvation in the will of God than to step out of the will of God to take matters into our own hands. We're prone to do that. We want to know that we are going to be secure. We want to know that we are having a hand in our sustenance. This was a trial divinely appointed by God to get here. Abraham, the father of the faithful, the friend of God, early in his semester in the school of faith. To get him to say, God told me to be here. And I'm not leaving here until God tells me to go. Doesn't matter what comes. Doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter what my eyes tell me. It matters that I am walking in obedience to God. Do you have any idea what God could have done had Abram stayed there? I know this is an argument from silence. But we have much evidence in Scripture. There were many people that God fed during famines and droughts. Elijah was one of them. God had a crow, guys, bring him food. All the food he needed, God had literally delivered. Manna from heaven. God took an entire nation, the descendants of this man, and ran them literally through a a desert where there was nothing. And yet God delivered food to them All that they would ever need while they were trusting God. 5,000 men 
More than that, if you include women and children, had followed Jesus out to a deserted place where there was no food. The disciples come to Jesus and say, you've got to send these people away. It's by far later than they were ever intending on staying, and the day is far spent, and there's no food. They're hungry. Send them away. Jesus said, they don't have to go away. You give them something to eat. So Peter goes out and finds this little boy and his sack lunch and brings it back to Jesus and says, here, here's a loaf and a few fish. What are you going to do with this? You remember what Jesus said? Command the multitudes to sit down. He took the food, raised it up to God, thank God for providing what he did. And they began to divide the food among themselves so that all of the thousands of people had plenty to eat with scraps left over. Guys, are you telling me? Are you telling me that the God of both heaven and earth would not be able to provide for his one family in the middle of a drought? Are you going to tell me that God cannot provide for you right now where you are? Isn't it remarkable that we will trust God completely with that which is invisible, intangible, and spiritual? I trust God. And I know many of you have heard this before, but it bears repeating. I can trust that a God I've never seen sent his son to the earth 2,000 years before I was born to die on a cross in a place I've never been, to save my soul that I can't find, to take me to a place, a destiny, heaven, that I can't locate on a map. Now you're telling me I can believe all that completely, but I can't trust that that God is going to for his servant in the midst of his will hogwash that is a lie abram was called to trust god where he was to believe that god called him there he knew he was there he was at bethel he had built an altar he was fellowshipping with god he was calling on the name of god and then times get hard and i would love to tell you that abram passed the test i would love to say that he came through this trial shining like gold Silver reflecting the image of its master. But he didn't. He failed. Again, another reason why I like this guy. He's got a lot of me in him. How about you? Challenge came and a choice was made. Notice these consequences now. Third thing. He would think, if he's taking matters into his own hands, calling his own shots, you would think that the road would get easier, right? No. No. It is better to trust and obey, for there is no other way, right? To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. All right, Sarah, I got a plan. Food's getting down. We're going to have to eat ramen noodles for a couple more days. And then after that, we're heading to Egypt. But I want you to think about something for a moment. We all live on a timeline. We often only focus on the here and now. On occasion, we'll tip our hat and give a nod to the past. And sometimes, if things are really turbulent, we'll turn our eyes to the future. But for the most part, our eyes stay right here on the present in our timeline. But I want you to see, because of where this story is placed in Scripture, we get to look at Abraham's past, at his present, and at his future. We get to see all of the consequences that came from his decision. It seems wise, 
It seems like he's just being a good, strong leader. But I want you to see what happens. Notice in verse 11, it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a good-looking woman. Therefore, it will happen. It will happen. See, he knows. He's riding down saying, Man, she's really good-looking for a hundred-year-old lady. And these Egyptians, these conscienceless Egyptians, they're going to see her and they're going to take her. And in taking her, they're going to kill me. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is my wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Isn't this funny? The winds of drought blow by, the pestilence of famine is now swept across Abram's life, and he says, it's going to be a whole lot better for me to go ahead and hit the pause button here on the will of God and just run down to Egypt just for a little while to make sure we still have food, and it'll all be better. Everything will be fine. He doesn't much more get to the city limit sign. And he realizes this, is, this has some consequences. They're going to see Hottie here beside me and they're going to want to take her and they're going to kill me in the process. Guys, think about this. He immediately has to start scheming. The father of the faithful Abraham, who would be known as the friend of God, is saying, Sarah, I want you to lie. Half-truth. It's a half-truth. I want you to tell them that you are my sister. Why? So something great will happen to Sarah? Uh Uh-uh. No, no, think about what Abram's saying. He says, we're going down here and I want them to think that you're my sister so they don't kill me. Well, what are they going to do to Sarah? How would you feel, ladies? He's saying, I want, I'm scheming, I am plotting, I am planning, I am lying, and I want you to join in on this lie so that I'll be okay and I hope nothing happens to you. Think about it for a minute, though. That's really what happened. And Sarah, bless her heart, I guess, said, okay. All right. Wow. So you want me to tell them that you're my brother so I can get a date with Pharaoh? The conscienceless Egyptians? That, that's where we're going? Are you guys seeing this devolving into something horrible? This is awful. I didn't tell him to go there. Taking matters into his own hands caused consequences that his own hand brought on him. Would have been better had he stayed right where he was and trusted God to bring a crow to bring him the food. Would have been better had he stayed there and trusted that God would even be able to provide food from heaven, literally, to feed him and to take care of him. But no, no, I know what I'm doing. I've got it under control happened in verse 15 the princes also saw her comment commended her to pharaoh and the woman was taken to pharaoh's house scary times for all he treated abram well for her sake why because he thought he was her brother guys you know that your wife when you were dating your wife or courting your wife or engaged to your wife you remember how nice you were to her brother 
Now after you're married, you don't even take his calls. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. Hey, this isn't so bad. I lost my wife for a little while, but the herd's getting bigger. Right? Verse 17, guys. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house. Abram's consequences were not just that he schemed and lied and was making horrible, self-centered decisions. But if you notice something else, Abram's reputation, his witness, was tarnished. He went from being Abraham and Ur of the Chaldees now to being Abraham in the land of promise surrounded by the pagan Canaanites at the time. And then he moves down to be in Egypt The witness relocation program, if you think about it. God was using him to be a witness everywhere he went. But then he goes down to Egypt and these people see the Hebrew who should be trusting God. And yet the Hebrew is lying and scheming and being willing to send his wife to Pharaoh's house to save his own skin. And then God shows up. Starts plaguing Pharaoh. Why? For Abram's sake. Remember God said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. God stepped in in a very real way in Abram's situation to get him out of there. God literally saved his skin. Abram gets confronted by Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, why'd you lie to me? Isn't it funny these conscienceless Egyptians have a conscience now? You told me she she was your sister. Think about what would have happened. Had I known her. Now God, your God, has come and put this stick to my back to tell me that that this is what's going on and gets him out of there. Not only was he lying and scheming out of Egypt, but his witness was tarnished in Egypt. When we are out of the will of God, we can only expect our witness to be tarnished. We can only expect his name, God's name, Not to be glorified, but to be modified. We can only expect spots and stains and wrinkles in our name and the image of Christ that we are to bear and proclaim when we're out of the will of God. Guys, those are the things that happened right then. Right then. Lied, schemed, put himself first, cast his wife to the Pharaoh, and then even had his witness tarnished. Let me tell you a couple other really quick things. Parents especially. Listen to these two things. Do you remember? In verse 12, it says that Pharaoh gave them a bunch of stuff. Herds and camels and donkeys and she donkeys and he donkeys and and all kinds of he servants and she servants when he left. You know who one of those she servants more than likely was? A woman by the name of Hagar. Ooh, she caused some problems. There's a little bit of a challenge that arises in Abraham's life in a little while. Where did he get this Egyptian servant? From Egypt. When did he get Egyptian servants? When he went down out of the will of God. Parents, please, grandparents, please hear what I'm about to tell you. 
Because this verse can cause the hair on your neck to stand up. Abram was only thinking of himself when he went down to Egypt. And there were serious consequences for it. Take your Bibles. Look in chapter 13 of verse verse 10 of chapter 13. Parents, you got a crayon in your purse? Mark this verse. You got a highlighter, a pen, underline this thing. If you don't have anything, just prick your finger and rub a little blood on it. It's this important. Back up to verse 9. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. This is Abram speaking. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Abram is leaving Lot to make his own decision on where to go. Their herds have gotten too big. They can no longer travel together. Problems have arisen because of what they got out of Egypt. And Abram says, we got to split up. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. Look at verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord. Like the land of Egypt. Do you know why that's put in there? Do you know why that little tidbit that almost seems non-essential is put in there? Because when Abram took it upon himself to step out of the clear revealed will of God and to go his own way, He did not just lie. He did not just scheme. He did not just make self-seeking decisions. He did not just sacrifice the well-being of his wife. He did not just bring along someone who later caused problems. But he taught Lot, his nephew. You want to make decisions in life? Base them off what the land offers. What did Abram do? He went down to Egypt. Why? Because there was food there. It looked like there was plenty. When Lot is making his decision on where he's going to live, he lifts up his eyes to the plains and sees Sodom and Gomorrah. And what does he describe it like? It looks just like it did in Egypt. Parents, your decision to follow God your decision to seek God even in the barren. To seek God and continue to trust God in the midst of a famine is an invaluable lesson to give to your children. When we are walking and seeking after the world and making worldly decisions and disregarding the teachings of God's Word, we can only imagine that we are, impre- we are impressing that even upon our children. We are modeling disobedience and faithlessness to them. We are showing them, you know what? Only trust God when it's convenient. Lot almost got taken out twice. Because he chose the wrong place. We have in Scripture a timeline. We get to see not Abraham just here. We get to see him in the past. And then we get to see him in the present. And what the consequences 
for his decisions were. And the next verse says, Then God had enough of Abraham, cast him off and said, I will yet find another that will fill your shoes. No. No. Aren't you glad that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful? Aren't you glad that his covenant with Abraham was not based off of his goodness? Aren't you glad that God didn't say, if you go, Abram, I will do this for you. God said, Abraham, come and I will do this. Aren't you glad to know that all of the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ? My salvation is not merit-based. His blessings are given to me by grace and mercy, both which are separated from my ability or my worthiness of receiving them. And Abraham gets ran out of Egypt. God plagues Pharaoh. Even though God got a hold of him and got him, drove him back out of Egypt, even though that was the case, God continued to use him. Where did he end up? Where does the story end? 13.1, then Abram went up from Egypt. He went up. He and his wife and all that he had and lot went with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver and gold. He went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there, and there, Abram called on the name of the Lord. His story ends here, just like it began. Guys, let me ask you a question. Based off of what you've heard this morning, of these two locations, Bethel representing the will of God, Bethel representing fellowship with God. Bethel representing obedience to God. Do those, does that place accurately represent your life right now? That you are walking in close, personal, ongoing communion and fellowship with God. Does, does, does your life right now represent dynamic, intentional, meaningful worship and engagement with the God of all creation? Does your life right now, are you walking in obedience to what you know God's Word says? Are you trusting God? Moment by moment, day by day, week by week, trusting that He will provide for His children even if in miraculous ways? Or have you abandoned the house of God? Bethel means the house of God. Have you abandoned Bethel and said, you know what, I'm going to strike out on my own. I'm going to go down, I'm going to trust myself, I'm going to trust my own hand, I'm going to trust my own provision. Friends, that is a very dangerous and it will prove to be a very costly mistake. If you're in Egypt right now, spiritually speaking, are you ready to come to that place where you turn around are you willing right now today to say, God, it is better to trust you in the land of promise than to be disobedient to you in the land of plenty? Would that be you today? Do you know Jesus, this great God, our journey mate throughout life? 
Have you ever come to faith in Jesus Christ? Because, friend, if, you're, if you've never trusted Christ, you've never even been to Bethel. You've never even been to that place of fellowship and worship. The Bible says that God sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins, to offer that which we could not pay for on our own. He stands ready and willing today to receive us as sinners, that He may forgive us completely and entirely, make us a brand new creation that lives to bear His glory. Christian, is this you? Where are you at? Are you in Egypt? Not trusting God? What is that promise God is wanting you to cling to today? Is it rededication? Maybe you need to turn around. Is it salvation? What decision has God placed on your heart and are you taking it as seriously as He does?